You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, church. My name is Chris, if you do not know me. Um, And I get the privilege of preaching this morning. So... um, so a few, well, more than a few, several weeks ago, my family had the, the privilege and responsibility of welcoming a child into the world. Uh, my wife gave birth to our daughter, Vivian, about seven weeks ago, and in that time, life has gotten all twisted up and mixed up and turned upside down and full of uh, difficulty and joy and uh, and, and struggle and, and all of the midst of that. But as we welcomed a new child into our lives and into the world, um, something became very distinct about this child. This child could not sustain itself, right? If you have ever held or seen a newborn child, they are incapable of doing anything on their own to sustain themselves. As, as Josh, I've heard him say a couple times before, the first time he held a newborn baby, he didn't know what he was doing, and he thought he broke it because its head went all over like this because babies can't even hold their own head up straight. And so we have this responsibility of trying to provide for this, this new life, this new child who is, who is clinging to us for life. And, and in the midst of that, I'm trying to help to support my wife and trying to help to support the family and trying to, to hold this child and to, to change the diapers, to provide for the needs and all these things. But there's one thing that I cannot do for this child. I cannot feed this child, at least not in the way that this child desires to be fed. We, we're trying to introduce the bottle and, you know, we've had some success a few times, but it is no substitute to the pure goodness of what mom can provide. Amen? Right? And so so we're wrestling with that. You know, I'm trying to give a substitute. I'm trying to give something else to provide sustenance and satisfy her hunger, satisfy her desire, but it's it's no comparison to, to the milk that mom can provide. Now, in here, we are not babies anymore. We are not children, much of us, but we all have a desire. We all have this desire for life, and we are all in pursuit of life. Now, that might not be like a baby pursuing the mother's breast for milk, but we are pursuing life in some way, whether that is through our job or through our relationships, whether that is through our extracurricular activities, we are pursuing life. And as we are in pursuit of life, Jesus sees and Jesus satisfies. As we look at our text this morning in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, we're going to see an encounter that Jesus has with a particular person who is coming to find satisfaction. This woman is coming and she is looking for something. And what she finds is anything other than she would have expected. 
So will you stand with me as we look in the scriptures this morning at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. If you do not have a Bible or a a smart device to to open up and power on, uh, the words will also be on the screen for you. John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday, noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You will worship what you do you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You may be seated. Well, thanks for standing through that with me. I know it's a long section of text, but we we try to regularly have the practice here of of standing in honor of God's word as we we talk through it and as we uh, walk through it the first time. So um, we're all in pursuit of something. Right? We're all in pursuit of life, of, of satisfaction, of, of joy, of, of belonging, of satisfying of a need. 
And in our pursuit of life, Jesus sees and Jesus satisfies. Here in our text, we are going to see that uh, in our pursuit of life, Jesus sees first our need and our pain. In verse 7 through 9, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, this, this might sound a little odd, like he's just asking for a drink of water from, from a lady who's there drawing water from a well. But there's all sorts of layers and underneath here in, in context that we just might not understand. And so let's try and break it down a little bit. Samaria was an area of the land that was kind of like an area of unsavory people. So during a time when, when the kingdom was conquered by a, an outside king from Assyria, he came in and he conquered the land. And as he conquered the land, he took all of the Jewish people into exile to another place. And he left some people there, and those people that were left, they, they weren't really sure what was going on. They tried to adopt some of the religion of the land. And in their process of trying to adopt some other religion of the land, they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't know what they were doing. And so the king of Assyria brought some of those Jews that had been exiled back down there. And what happened in that process is they, they learned some of the practices of the land, and then they began to intermarry with these, with these Jewish individuals. And this is something that God had clearly said to his people, you shall not intermarry with other individuals and other people groups. And so these Samaritans were a group of people that were like half-breeds, right? They were half-Jewish, they were half-Gentile. They were half the enemy, they were half the people, right? And so as Jesus is, is coming to meet with this woman, this is a woman that not only as a Samaritan, the people would have had nothing to do with, right? If you were a Jew and you came across somebody who was a Samaritan, you would have utter disdain for them, right? You would have, want to have nothing to do with them. Many commentators would say that, that if you were a Jew and you had to travel from Judea to Galilee, you would even go out of your way to avoid going through Samaria. Like you would take the longer route. You would, instead of going straight through, you would like curve around, get on a boat, go across some water, get to the other side, and then like button hook back and go to get to Galilee. But Jesus went straight through. He took the shortest route. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't worried. He wasn't concerned with encountering these people, right? And even in the midst of that, as he went and he encountered these people that were, that were not seen of highly, the first one he encountered was a woman. Now, in, in that cultural time, men, especially somebody who was a rabbi or a teacher or who was someone in respected authority, did not spend time alone with a woman. I don't know if you've heard, but it's kind of like the Billy Graham rule, right? You don't spend time alone with a woman because... Things might happen or accusations might take place and you just don't want that in uh, an accusation being made against you. And so Jesus is just breaking down barriers here, right? He's talking to somebody he shouldn't be talking to. He's talking to a woman who they would not have associated with. He's just like breaking down walls all over the place, right? And then he has the audacity to ask this woman for a drink of water, Right? And so even in the moments when a Jewish person would have interacted with a Samaritan individual, they never would have shared 
serving dishes. They wouldn't have eaten from the same plates. They wouldn't have used the same utensils. They wouldn't have even drank from the same cup of water. Yet Jesus is asking this woman, hey, uh, I'm thirsty. It's been a long day. I'm here in the heat of the sun. Uh, can, can you get me some water? And, uh, and I'll drink it. And she's shocked, right? She's taken aback. This is not something that she would expect at all. And not only that, but this is a woman who's coming out in the middle of the day to get water. Now, the middle of the day is the time when it would be the hottest and least likely that somebody would come out to get water. You know, imagine you're living in the desert. It can get pretty hot in the desert, right? 100 degrees or plus. You don't want to have to trek from in the city to get water and go back. You're going to do it in, in the cooler parts of the day. You're going to wake up in the morning. It's not so hot. You're going to come with some friends. You're all going to get water together, and then you're going to go back, make it a social, social thing, right? But this woman came in the middle of the day. She was seeking to escape something, right? Not only was she a half-breed and a woman who was not accepted by the Jewish people, she also was shunned by her own people. So she's like the lowest of the low here, right? She is coming out in the middle of the day, which would have been unacceptable for somebody to come and draw water, unacceptable for a woman to be out alone in this context. So she's like trying to get away from something, right? She's trying to satisfy uh, a desire that she has in her, right? To escape some shame, to escape some, a background that Jesus later exposes what it is, and she's seeking to get water. She's thirsty, right? Jesus sees the need. She's coming for something. She's coming looking for life. It makes me think of um, St. John's a little bit, North Portland. Uh, North Portland and St. John's historically has been seen as an area that you do not want to be in, Right? It has historically been seen as a place that you do not want any part of. Like when I remember when I came for college, I had, I had known some people who had come here and there were, there were stories, right? Like you don't leave campus because you don't know what's going to happen in North Portland. Like somebody might be getting shot in the park down the street or a drug deal is going to be happening down there or all these things that this, this city and this neighborhood just had a terrible reputation, Right? not just socially and dynamically, but even educationally, right? Some of the schools, the public schools in this area are some of the lowest rated in the state, not just in the area, in the state, right? So St. John's in North Portland has historically been ignored, right? It's off to the side. You don't have to go there unless you're looking for something. You know, you might come through on your way to Beaverton or out to Hillsboro because you don't want to sit in the I-5 traffic, um, or you might come through on your way out to Savi's Island where you're trying to pick some fruit and some berries, that sort of thing. But you wouldn't typically come here unless you had to, right? It's kind of what's like is going on here with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It's not somebody who would normally associate with one another. But they were. Jesus was breaking down these barriers. He was crossing these dividing lines of gender, of race, of ethnicity, of broken past, of character, all these things because he saw that this woman had a need. In meeting her, he knew that there was pain in her story. He knew that there was a reason that she was coming out at this hour to escape whatever she had at her home life, 
and to look for something, to look for some solitude, right? We've done that, right? We've, we, have, we have pain, we have needs, we have discomforts, and we think, well, if I can just like check out for a little bit, it'll make it better, you know? Like if I just go, go up to the pub and I have a couple drinks and I just leave all those worries at home, I won't have to worry about it. Or if I just go out for a run and I just like don't have to think about anything. Or maybe you're not a runner and you go hit up the gym instead and you're like, if I can just pump some iron and just get that out of my system, then I won't have to think about what is going on in my life. Jesus sees our need. He sees our pain. He sees the struggles and the turmoils and the difficulties that we are going through in life. And he doesn't avoid them, right? He doesn't say, those people from St. John's, I, I don't know. I, just, I shouldn't be spending time with them. They're not the right kind of people, right? I should take the long route to just bypass that and get to where I need to go. No, he intentionally engaged this woman. He intentionally engages his people. He intentionally has engaged us, right? As we are here this morning. In our pursuit of life, Jesus sees our need and he sees our pain. But not only that, Jesus sees our sin, right? He sees our sin, as it says in verses 16 through 18. After he asks her for water, he says, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. See, this woman was, was at the well alone because there was shame. There was shame in her life. There was shame in her story. There was pain in her relational dynamics. Five husbands, right? In this time, you were supposed to only be married once, right? She had been married five times. It doesn't say the reasons why these marriages had ended. They could have ended from she would be a widow infidelity, brokenness in relationship, a myriad of reasons. But to think that this woman would have been married five times, it's highly unlikely that all of her spouses would have passed away. There's brokenness there. And then even in the midst of that, she was still currently living with a man. Living with a man in a way that was unacceptable in the culture and in the time. He was not her husband, right? This woman had sin in her life. And Jesus, he's, he's really tactful about this, right? He's super gentle and he's super loving. He's like, all right, I, I, I would love to give you some, some water. Now go, go get your husband and bring him here and we can talk. We can have this dialogue. He knows her pain. He knows her need. And he knows her sin, Right? And in order to bring healing to her, Jesus has to understand those things. He has to understand the need. He has to understand the pain. And he has to understand and know the sin that is in our life, right? And he doesn't avoid it, right? Does Jesus beat around the bush here? He goes straight in and he asks her the question, like, okay, go, go get your husband. Bring him here. He, like, he puts his finger on the most shameful part of her life and her character and her being and says, I know about this, yet I'm still talking to you. 
I haven't run away. I haven't gone somewhere else. I haven't left you here alone. I have still offered you this amazing thing. And I'm revealing your sin in the midst of that. Right? I'm revealing your brokenness. I'm revealing the pain that is in your life. And not only the pain, but the source of that pain. Right? We all have sin in our life. Right? And the sin that is in our life is typically a result of a need that we have that we feel is not being satisfied or pain that we have in our background and in our story and we want to cover it up and we want to feel good, right? But we don't like it when sin in our life is brought up, right? When our rebellion is brought up, when our ways of breaking the rules are brought up, when our ways of living outside of the accord of the way we are supposed to be is brought up. We want to run away from that, right? Nobody wants to sit in like, have somebody just like dig in to their pain, right? It's not fun. Uh, recently, I have started uh, seeing some counseling a little bit because in the midst of this dynamic of having another child, it has brought up um, this, this struggle inside of me of some postpartum depression, right? And just anxiety and, and having a hard time dealing with that. And in men, a lot of time when you have anxiety or depression, it comes out in anger and in frustration. And that's not the type of person that I want to be with my children, you know? I don't want to be frustrated with them. I don't want to be yelling. I don't want to be hostile towards them. And so I'm, I'm going and I'm uh, at the urging of my wife, um, who is very gracious and loving in this process, but I'm going and I'm, I'm trying to talk to a counselor. But even as I'm like sitting there in the chair and I'm talking to the counselor, I feel he, he has no idea who I am. He doesn't know my story much. And so I'm trying to like reveal things, but it's awkward, right? Because I'm talking about my brokenness. I'm talking about my sin. And I'm talking about the, this deep need that I have to like not want to be this way, Right? I don't want to be an unsafe person to my family. I don't want to be anxious and worried and frustrated all the time with my family or with the people around me, right? But I can't work through that unless I'm talking about it, right? Or unless I'm in relationship with people that understand, right? But it's super uncomfortable, right? It's super uncomfortable to talk about our brokenness. It's super uncomfortable to talk about our needs, and it's super uncomfortable to talk about our pain. And a lot of those times, those all stem from our sin, a way that we have tried to cover up what we don't want people to see in our lives, right? We all have that. We all have sin in our lives. We all have brokenness. Jesus sees it. Jesus had never met this woman before, and because of his amazing, divine nature, he knew, just instantaneously, he knew that this woman had need, and the need that she had was because of her sin. It's this twofold thing of repentance and faith, right? He had to expose her need that she had, and that the need was because of a sin that she had committed. And so in order to, to move forward in this conversation, there needed to be an acknowledgement of that, right? There needed to be an acknowledgement of this brokenness, an acknowledgement of this thing that just wasn't really right in order to move forward, right? You can't, you can't keep moving forward in health 
unless you acknowledge and you work through some of the broken and messy things in life. We're all in pursuit of life. And Jesus sees those messy parts. He sees our need and our pain, and he sees our sin. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there, right? He keeps going with this interaction with the woman. Jesus satisfies as well. In our pursuit of life, Jesus satisfies the need that we have. One of the ways he satisfies it here in the text is that he satisfies a thirst that we have. Verses 10 through 15 say, after asking the woman for a drink in this, uh, you, you, why would you ask me? He says, um, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep, 100 feet or more deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink and drank from it himself, and did his, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give, in him, will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So there's, there's kind of a lot going on here too. Water and how are you going to get it and what, what's the importance of this and all these things. And so uh, it talked about in the, the first couple of verses that in Samaria there was this well, this well that belonged to a certain person, Jacob. Now, if you were here with us as we went through the book of Exodus or Genesis, you might understand who Jacob is. Or if you've read the Bible at all, you might understand a little bit, you might understand who Jacob is. But Jacob was one of like these founding fathers of the faith, right? Like he was from the beginning. Uh, the, the family that God chose to bless the entire world from started with Abraham, went to his son Isaac, and then went to Isaac's son Jacob. That's this Jacob is being referred to here. This Jacob who had been taken out and sent to the promised land, sent to this amazing place, uh, which was called Canaan, that God was like, I'm going to give you this beautiful, abundant, life-flowing land. And as he went there, he needed water, right? You can't survive without water, even in the, especially in the desert, right? You need water to drink. You can only go so long without water. So he, he dug a well, and this is that well that he dug. He had purchased this land. This land had been passed on to his descendants. And this was a source of water and of sustenance for the people in that area, even from the time of Jacob. Now, this water was was abundant, right? It was a well. It was good. It was good water. But it, it was just water. It would satisfy when you were thirsty for a moment, but you would always have to come back to it, Right? You would never be fully satisfied just by coming to this well. So in the time of, uh, of Israel, in the time of these people, there were three sources of water. They didn't have running water that just like went straight to their homes like we do. Even still in many parts of the world, there's no running water that goes straight to somebody's house like we have in our country. So there's three primary sources. The best source was fresh water. 
from like a spring. This is what was normally referred to as living water. Think of like running water, fresh water from a spring. We pay like buco extra bucks to get bottled water from a spring, right? Because it just is delicious. We love it. We love that smart water, that Fiji water, all these things because it's coming from this wonderful, pure source. So that was like the cream of the crop, was this flowing spring water. Next was water from a well, a well that had been dug deep down into the ground to find this water source that was, that was clean and that was there and was, it was good for you. And the third type of water was like runoff water, you know, something like you would collect in a rain barrel here in Portland. You would disconnect your downspouts and you would set it up and you're like, all right, this is great. I can water my garden. Well, they would have drank from that water, right? Not too yummy. It would have been sitting around. It would have gotten stagnant. It would have probably had mosquitoes coming all over it. It wouldn't be good. So those were these three types of water sources. And she was, she was coming to this like middle ground water source looking for water. And, and it was good. It was satisfying. But it didn't ultimately satisfy her. It didn't ultimately satisfy a need that she had. She was looking for something to drink, but ultimately she was looking for more, right? She was looking for a a fullness inside of her that would never go away. And that's what Jesus offers. He says, you come to draw water. I can give you a water. I can give you a source that will satisfy your thirst, that you will never have to come back and look for it elsewhere again. You won't have to look for it to go back to your home, to the man that you are not married to and sleeping with. That will not satisfy you. Those five husbands that you had before, they did not satisfy you, right? Your pursuit of health does not satisfy you. Your pursuit of status within your job does not satisfy you. Your pursuit of of, of a beautiful home and a, and a loving and perfect-looking family does not satisfy you. Jesus says, I can satisfy this deep need that you have, and it will be a spring of life that wells up inside of you and will never go away. This thirst quencher that Jesus is offering is not a tangible water that we could drink. It is a reference to the Holy Spirit right? The third person of the Trinity. And so this is a source that would, and would, would come into side of people after Jesus had, had gone away. This source of, of life that would well up and that would cleanse and it would bring healing and it would bring fullness and it would bring newness of life. And it's something that would never run out, right? It would always be there. It would never run dry. It was a source that would not only fill the individual, but it would be so abundant that it would overflow and it would bless those around them, right? And we're not going to get to it in the story, but that is a little bit of what happens here. This woman hears this amazing news and she doesn't go back to tell the man she's living with. It's not implied here. But she goes back to her town and she tells all the people, like, I have met this person who says that he has the source of living water, Water that is going to satisfy us beyond our wildest dream and belief. Come and see. Come and check this out. And they come and they receive. And they get newness of life. And they are filled to the full. In our pursuit of life, Jesus satisfies our thirst. But he also satisfies our questions. So as he has this conversation with her and he, he points out, like, you, you've had 
not just one husband, you've had five, and you're living with somebody who's not your husband, um, what, what's, our, what's our typical response when somebody like puts us under the pressure like that, right? When we get made uncomfortable and they point out the, the uncomfortable things in our life, we change the subject, right? We like skirt the issue. We don't want to talk about it. And what is the, like an easy hot button topic to switch it to? Religion, right? Like, oh, I don't want to talk about my brokenness. Let's talk about God, right? There's a lot of conflict there. Let's talk about who this, this person is and where we, should, where we should worship. Should I worship down the street or should I worship here? Should I, should I just do it from my home? Um, she just like jumps on that. And so, but she asks these questions. But Jesus is even still able to satisfy her questions. And he's able to satisfy ours. Verse 19 through 24 say, The woman said to him, Sir, I'm amazed. I perceive that you are a prophet. So let me ask you something. There's a lot of debate here going on around our people. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So she changes the subject. She's like, well, we have all these questions about religion, right? We have all these questions about faith. Like, can you answer some of that for me? And then maybe we can like keep this conversation going. So the, the people of Samaria were, were half-breeds. And part of the reason that they were half-breeds is because of the intermarrying, but also because they had this, this uncertainty about, like, well, where should I worship God at, right? I think that's a question that we all have in our lives and in culture is like, well, where is it appropriate to worship God at? Like, how, how can I worship God? Do I have to go to church to worship God? Can't I just like do it from my house? Or can I just like go out on a nature walk and worship God and experience all these things? And so she's bringing that question up. She's saying like, our people, our ancestors said like, this was the spot that you worship God from. And she's referring to this mountain. This mountain is a spot where when the people of God came into this land, there was a covenant renewal and there, was a mount, there were two mountains one of them, they spoke out blessings upon the people. Like, if you follow and you walk in the ways of God and you do all these things, it is going to go really, really well for you. It's going to be amazing. And then there was this other mountain, which was a mountain where curses were spoke out upon the people. And they said, well, if you don't do all these things, it's going to get really rough, right? Life's going to be hard. You are going to be overpowered by other nations. You are going to be taken away into foreign lands. And so she's saying, we're on this mountain where the blessings were spoken from. This is where we were told we were supposed to worship God. But she's misunderstanding, right? See, the Samaritan people not only had that view, but they did not accept the full Old Testament as we know it today, as the Jews would have in this time. They stuck to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They were like, this is it. This is what we got, is those first five books. And it says that right here is where we are supposed to worship God. So she had a misunderstanding compared to what the Jewish people did because they had a fuller view because they had the, the, the full Old Testament to go on and to look through. 
And so Jesus, he, he doesn't skirt the issue here either. He addresses her question. He answers her question. And she probably didn't really like the answer, right? He says, you're, you're wrong in a loving way, but that's kind of the, the point of what he got to is, is you're wrong. This is not the place where you are to worship God. The scriptures say that it is in Jerusalem, the city of David, where you are supposed to worship God. But, but here's the kicker, he says, they're going to have it wrong too, right? It's not going to be in, in one specific place. It's not going to be here on this mount, Mount Gerizim, or it's not going to be up in Jerusalem where you worship God. You no longer are going to have to make pilgrimage to a certain place to worship God. You're going to be able to worship God through this Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. He answers the question that he ha- she has, right? She may not have liked the answer. She may have seen that he was this, this amazing person, this person who could see things that nobody would be able to see, who could tell her about her life in ways that she probably had not revealed to anybody. And she was interested. She wanted to know more. She asked these questions. And she wrestled through it. Now, we have a lot of the same questions today, right? In our culture, in our society of, of well, who is God? Like, is God just spirit? Can I just worship God out in nature? Or is, is God this other religion? There are all these questions that are being answered. And as we believe, the scriptures reveal who God is, right? They reveal who this person is, and we don't always like the answers, right? Even us in this room, there are a lot of things in this book that we are uncomfortable with, right? Or that are hard. They rub us the wrong way. They're hard to accept. They're difficult, and they can make life difficult at times. To have to live in that way in the midst of a culture in a metropolitan area of Portland, right? Where it's like, do whatever feels right to you. Make yourself happy. We're not going to judge, right? But God gives a way to live. He says, I'm going to put this spirit inside of you, and the hour is coming when it's not going to matter here or there where you worship. The hour is here when it doesn't matter if you worship there or you worship there. The hour is here because I am here, because Jesus has come. This hour is coming thing, Josh Josh referenced it a little bit, the call to worship, but the hour is coming is pointing to the passion of Jesus. The passion of Jesus. And that's a very interesting word, I think, or phrase to use for it. The passion of Jesus. This refers to Jesus's crucifixion, death on the cross, and rising back to life. Now, I don't know about many of you in this room, but I don't think that we'd be really passionate about getting nailed to a cross and dying, right? That sounds pretty terrible, But this was the passion of Jesus. This is the hour that was going to come. This is what Jesus had come down for to do. He had come down to lay his life aside in order to restore relationship. He had come down to break barriers of life, to say, hey, you are an outcast. You do no longer have to live as an outcast. You are a rejected person in your people group and in this world. You no longer have to live as a rejected outcast. You are an unsavory individual. You no longer have to live as that unsavory individual. I will offer my life up 
in exchange for yours. I will offer all of myself up in exchange for you in a reconciled relationship with a perfect and holy God. And I will do this freely on your behalf, just as he freely offered the living water to this woman here. This kind of talks about uh, a bit of a worship issue, right? He's saying, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. It makes me think of all these different things that people worship in this world. People worship money and power. We worship the God who satisfies all of our needs. People worship identity and sex. We worship the God who has given us a new identity in him. We worship a God who has imprinted his image upon us from the beginning of time, right? We worship a God who has defined all of reality. People worship creation. They worship the trees and the flowers and the beauty that there is all around us. We worship the God of creation, the God who made all of it and put the stars in the sky, the mountains in the hills, and the trees all over around us. We worship relationships. We worship family. But we as Christians worship the God who creates the perfect relationship. We worship the God who binds us all together in a family with and through him. It's amazing. We are all in pursuit of life. We all have needs and have sin. We all thirst and desire for fullness and more than what we are experiencing in this life. And Jesus can quench and satisfy that thirst. He can answer the questions that you have. He can bring a fullness and newness of life. And he can do that because he is Messiah. As it says here, In verses 25 through 26, she says, well, this has been a great conversation, Jesus, but um, I know that Messiah is coming, the one that's called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to make all things clear. He's going to just lay it out for us. And she gets the most unexpected answer. She says, I who speak to you am him. This is the first time in this book as we were walking through it that, that Jesus clearly proclaims himself and identifies himself as the Messiah. Throughout the rest of it, what we have seen so far, there's hints at it. There are other people who say, well, maybe, maybe this could be. Perhaps this is the one. Here is the first time that Jesus himself says, it is me. I am the living God. I am the one who is the life source for you. I am the one that you should be pursuing after. I am the one who is going to bring up a wellspring of life inside of you to satisfy every desire and need that you could ever possibly have. Come to me and have this satisfaction. This life source will never run dry inside of you. As it bubbles up, you will dispense life, not just from within you, you will be dispensed life from God, and then you will be a dispenser of life as you go out and you bear the gospel to those around you in your life. God is giving an abundance of life to us. He's calling us to this kingdom living of life outside of ourselves that is found in and through him. Let us walk in that. 
Let us be satisfied in the only God who can satisfy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, this time. I thank you for your word and that we do get to wrestle with it, that there are uncomfortable things here and that there are questions that we have, but that you give, you give answers. And not only do you give answers, you give a fullness of life. You quench a thirst. You quench a desire that we have for union with God, for union with the divine, for union with the Spirit. And to do that through the outpouring of living water within us. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for the amazing way that you have worked in and through Jesus to draw us closer to you through the blood that was shed on that cross. And God, as we, as we continue to worship in this time, I pray that we would respond. We would respond by coming to these tables. We would respond through the, the observing of these symbols of the bread, which was your body that hung. The wine and the juice was your blood that was poured out. That we may have relationship with you. That we may have fullness of life in and through you. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.